0: life is filled with challenges from small to large each day we are presented with a variety of choices will we trust god will we put our faith in him or will we just simply get by pushing ourselves to be better and stressing ourselves to try harder the bible challenges us to lay hold of the promises god has made to his children Hebrews 11 paints a wonderful picture of men and women who triumphed by faith. They were ordinary people who believed God and pursued His promises, even though many didn't see them come to pass in their lifetime. Please join us each week as the writer of Hebrews teaches us to navigate this life by clinging to the promises of God while anticipating the return of Christ.
1: going to talk about divine intervention. The Bible is filled with stories of God's divine intervention in the lives of people who were not able to help themselves out of some impossible situation. Have you ever been there? Yes, I have. I'm sure you have. But these people were in situations that by their own might or by their own power, by their own strength, they could not Take the situation and make it better. We could look at Noah and the ark. Joseph in Egypt. Daniel in the lion's den. His three friends in the fiery furnace. Ruth in her poverty. Esther as a leader of a nation. Elijah being fed by ravens. Paul in his miraculous conversion. Peter who walked on the water and was released from prison. And we could go on and on and on. Talking about moments of divine intervention. But before I go too far into that conversation, let's talk about what divine intervention is. Divine intervention, simply put, is God intervening in the affairs of the world. Divine intervention can be God causing something to happen to rescue you. Divine intervention could be God not allowing something to happen in your life or in your world, you say, Give me a, a real example. God can intervene in your health, God can intervene in your finances, God can intervene, I truly believe, in the location that you are or you are not at, at a moment in time. For example, um, Have you ever been going down the road and you were delayed and you were a little bit frustrated and you got down the road and there was a major accident? You think, wow, God intervened because if I had left when I thought I was going to leave, I would have been just about where that was at that moment. Have you ever gone through a physical ailment and God intervened on your behalf and he, He did something? And I'll give you an example in my own life. May the 5th last year, I fainted. And I went to the doctor thinking, well, I just fainted, so I need to get stitches in my head. While I met the doctor to get stitches in my head, they said, oh, by the way, just FYI, your colon has ruptured and we need to do this. It's an intervention. It's a moment that God steps in and he allows something for our good that if we're not careful, we look and go, oh, wow, I busted my head open. No, hallelujah, I busted my head open. Because he did that. That's divine intervention. So divine intervention is God intervening on, the behalf, of, on behalf of humanity with something that he allows or something that he may not allow. In our lives Now this is where we have to be careful. This is the danger of thinking divine intervention. We look and we say, oh wow, there's an open door. That, if that door is open, then it must be the road that God wants me to walk down. Well, can I tell you I have walked down some roads that I thought, look, an open door, and it was the worst mistake I ever made in my life. What's the difference? Romans 12:1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 would say, I want you to be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't look and say, oh, I went there and because the door was open and doors kept opening. Satan is powerful enough to keep opening doors if you're dumb enough to keep walking through them. You hear me? That is a true statement. He can keep opening doors. And you'll go, man, God must be happy with me. Look, there's another door. And pretty soon you have walked through so many doors that you're in such a deep pit that the only way you're out is truly divine intervention. So this morning we're talking about divine intervention. We're talking about what God does for us or what God does not allow in our lives, we're understanding that we can know and prove the perfect will of God because Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we can know and prove the will of God. Why do we need divine intervention in our lives? There are occasions in every person's life when no one wants to help you. Did you know that? You are on your own. Nobody wants to help you. You can be jumping around and screaming, I'm here, I need help. And everybody else goes, so do I. And you are on your own. And you say, well, that is an awful place to be. Not necessarily. If that place will lead you to Christ, it's the best place you could have ever been. And so David said it this way, Psalm 27 10 When my mother and my, or my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. So understand, you can be in a situation and you can bemoan it, but it may be the very moment that God wants to intervene in your life to show you that He is all you need. Why do I need divine intervention? Because there are occasions when those who want to help may fail. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard the phrase, well, they had good intentions. Man, they, bless their heart, they had good intentions. They wanted to help. But in all their humanity and in all their effort, they made it worse. And I need divine intervention because... The human help may not be enough. There's occasions when it's beyond the ability of a man to help. Mom and dad, listen to me. If we always run ahead of our children. Wife, if you always run ahead of your husband. Husband, if you always run ahead of your wife. And you smooth the consequences. Or you ease the pain. You may absolutely be taking away the thing that God wants to be there to get their attention. To bring them to their knees so that they will bow and call him God and Father. I've had situations I've been in and I ran ahead of God and I look back and I go, "Ooh, you should have let the consequence take over there. Or maybe that was not the thing to do and I've had people run ahead of me and smooth the consequences out in my life and the consequences would have been the very thing that would have made me bow before God. You say, well, give me, show me that in the Bible. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. Humanity cannot help the salvation issue. Only God brings salvation. Why do we need divine intervention? Our ability to help ourselves is limited. We can't stop disease from overcoming us. We can't heal our illness. We do not know how to control how long we live. We cannot control what other people do around us. And so we need divine intervention. Why do we need divine intervention? We're not able to control the circumstances around us. last night on london bridge our last night on london bridge there were people there somebody with ill intent decided that they were going to cause harm to somebody else and people died we need divine intervention in this world because we cannot defeat evil we need god to work we need god to be our protector we need god to be our provider our keeper our helper We need divine intervention when we give ourselves over to certain things and those things are so strong that we cannot release ourselves from them. Men oftentimes need divine intervention from pornography. People need divine intervention from substance. People need divine intervention from other things, but that is something that happens all the time. We need divine intervention. So what I want us to do this morning is look at, in our passage of Scripture, Hebrews 11, 29, 30, and 31, I want us to look at three situations where divine intervention took place and what we can learn from that. A.W. Pink, theologian from another day, said, how does God reward the diligent seeker? He does it by ministering to their every need, both eternal and temporal. God wants us to live by faith in His promises to provide for our everyday needs and help us in the difficulties we face in life. With that said, let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, and verse 29 with the mindset of lord help us to understand divine intervention. Hebrews 11:29 says, by faith. Now let's go back to Hebrews 11:6 right quick. Hebrews 11:6 tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith it's impossible. You say, "Well, I don't have faith." Well, guess what? You can't please God. I have faith. You can please God. But without faith, it says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So let's go back to our verse. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. One example of divine intervention. Say with me, the Red Sea. The the Red Sea. Another example of divine intervention. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Say it with me, the walls of Jericho. That's the second example of divine intervention. The third, by faith. The harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Say it with me, Rahab. Red Sea, walls of Jericho, and Rahab the harlot. Very, very different circumstances, but one intervention. Divine intervention. So the first thing that we see about divine intervention, for divine intervention to take place, divine intervention trusts God's word. Now, to read the account of the Red Sea, you'd want to go back to Exodus 14. Mark it down, read it later. But after God, here's kind of the story, after God had killed the firstborn son of every family in Egypt, Pharaoh told the people of Israel to leave the country. Now you remember some other things that happened and he'd said let them go and then he'd change his mind. Well finally after this happens, this catastrophic horrific thing happens, he says get your people and get out of here. And so Moses organizes them, and some two million people begin this march away from Egypt and towards the promised land. And everything seems to be going okay until Pharaoh decides, you know what? I can't believe I let all those people go. Who's going to make the bricks? Who's going to build this? Who's going to do that? And he says, men, get your weapons. We're going to get them, and we're going to bring them back. And so here are the children of Israel. They're marching towards the promised land. They've got the Egyptians chasing them from behind, and they've got the Red Sea in front of them. And Moses is there, and he doesn't have everything he needs at that moment. But Exodus 14 13, he mounts his courage and he says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Stand firm. Divine intervention by faith. Stand firm. And watch the deliverance that will come in your life from the Lord. There are times in your life that all you can do is stand firm. There are times in your life where all you can do is watch and say, God, if victory comes here, victory is going to have to come from you. The problem comes is that we begin to say, Oh, no, I can't trust God. If I don't hurry up and act, then something's going to fall apart. And God says, no, stand firm. Do you know what stand firm looks like? Stand firm is a position of where you're braced. You say, I am here, and I will not move. I'm here. And God, if I perish, I perish, but I'm not moving because I'm going to wait on you. Because you are good and you are for me and you are not against me. So God, I'm going to wait for the right person to marry. God, I'm going to trust you with my finances. God, I'm going to trust you with my help. God, I'm going to trust you and get up and I'm going to serve you this day. Divine intervention. What do we need? We need to trust God's word. The people of Israel, by faith, walked through the dry land trusting that God had parted the waters and would continue to keep them separated until they all cleared to the other side. They trusted God. The promises of God, we read it here, that God rewards those in Hebrews 11.6. Let's go back to it. It says that that it says to us, "...but without faith it is impossible to please Him." For he who comes to God must believe. Now hear me. Believe is not mental assent. Believe is not, oh, I know it in my head. Believe has a condition that we can quantify. It means to stand firm. It means to stand firm when my friends are making fun of me. It means to stand firm when my circumstances seem overwhelming. It means to not move because I heard from the Lord. But it says that if we will stand firm, if we will believe that He rewards us, we receive these promises by faith. Puritan John Trapp said, It is the nature of faith To believe upon God his bare word. It will not be saith sense. It cannot be saith reason. It can be and will be saith faith. God said it. That settles it. Have you ever heard God settles it, I believe it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Terrible theology. Awful theology. God said it. That settles it. It does not matter what you believe. God is God. The belief, God said it. That settles it. I believe it. The scripture says you will be rewarded. That's a good way to say that. God settled it, said it. That settles it, I believe it, and the scripture says you'll be blessed. Faith trusts God's word. Another old dead guy said this, Some providence, providence, like Hebrew letters, must be read backwards. We do not always understand why God wants us to do something, but He wants us to trust Him and walk by faith. Sometimes, afterward, God reveals why, but not always. He does not have to answer our questions. He wants our obedience. It's kind of that child-parent conversation. Hey, mama, can I? No. Why? Because I said so. Because I said so. And God is gracious to reveal His will, and there are times that He lays it out as, as plain as the nose on your face. And there are other times that He says, Oh, little child, just trust me and watch what I will do for you. Have you ever thought about the fact that the same path that led to life and freedom for the Israelites was death for the Egyptians? Same path. Same water, same direction. What was the difference? When the Egyptian army followed the Israelites into the sea, they did not go by faith, but by greed, pride, and their desire to capture the Israelite people as slaves. They went into the sea because the path was clear. But they were not looking to glorify God or obey God. They were looking for selfish gain. Not every path is God ordained. Okay, that is why God ordained for your blessing. Let me me back up and say that a different way. Some paths will lead to our destruction. That is why the scripture says to To know to prove what is God's good and perfect and acceptable will. He wants you in the word. He wants you leaning on him. He wants you trusting him. Because Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. So what's the application? I believe that what God has written in his word is true. I believe or I will obey The word of God as I make decisions so that God can bless them. I will obey the word of God as I make decisions so God can, will bless them. I will continue to believe the promises of God even if my circumstances seem impossible. So the first thing about divine intervention... The person who can receive divine intervention, the person who can take advantage of, understand divine intervention, trust God's word. The second thing that we see in these passages, in these three examples, is that divine intervention, the person who's ready for God to work in their life, believes the impossible. Go back to verse 30 of chapter 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. The story of the walls of Jericho is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's the story of Joshua leading the people, which, by the way, were an entirely new generation, remember? This first generation all had to pass away, all those who marched out of Egypt... They all had to pass away before they could enter the promised land. Now they're in the promised land. They're inside there. This is a new group of people. They have to see God provide. They have to trust that God's word is what it said it would be. And so when Joshua stands up in front of them and said, this is how we will defeat the city, and he says to them, for six days we'll march once, and on the seventh day we'll march seven times, and after we circle the seventh time we'll scream, we'll shout, and the walls will fall down. Ooh, I'd have a hard time believing that. But yet, by faith, they trusted God's word. And for six days, they took their lap. And on the seventh day, they took their seventh lap. And then they blew the trumpets and they shouted and the walls came down. You say, well, how long did that take? Well, archaeologists tell us that Jericho was a city of about six acres. And so... I don't know how far you can walk, six acres, around six acres. That would be like walking around this peninsula somewhat. I'll um, give you an example. This is 17 acres, so half of that, walk around it. So you could do it in, depending on the pace you're walking, 30 minutes, maybe an hour with a whole large group of people if you're talking while you're doing it. So they did it. They walked around it. And that's what's happening. But when the walls had fallen down, it was clear that God had caused them to come down. The victory over Jericho was, not, was, was clearly not by might and nor by power, but by the Spirit of God working in their lives. Which, by the way, some years ago the Associated Press ran an article that said the walls of Jericho did come tumbling down as recounted in the Bible, according to an archaeological study. Bryant Wood of the University of Toronto said, When we compare the evidence at Jericho with the biblical narrative describing the Israelite destruction of Jericho, we find remarkable agreement. Wood noted that the Bible places the event at a certain place and in a certain time, and the archaeological evidence bears true. Now, do we need that? No. No. But does it kind of give me a little pep in my step to know that the proof is there? Absolutely it does. The stories, the account, the events in the Bible are true and they are right and we can trust God's Word. We can believe the impossible. When God says, I want you to do something and you say, but God, I can't, God says, Trust me and look and see what I will do for you. The scripture says, Behold and see the battles the Lord has won for you. But you see, you'll never see the battle won if you don't take God at his word and trust him the way he said do it. The countless blessings we miss because we read God's word, we understand what God said, and then we look at God and said, I'll do it my way. God says, trust me, believe the impossible, walk with me. What does that look like? I can think of examples, um, an example of trust me in relationships. And see how I provide. Trust me in finances. And see how I provide. Trust me in. What you meditate on. And watch how I will. Take over your life. True story. Preacher friend. Would never go to the movie. And I can't tell you the number of times, at least in my head, I made fun of him. Thinking, well, you're just an old prude. Look at you, la, 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 la. Or this or that or the other. And then one day you wake up and you think, wow, where am I dwelling on? And why did I dwell on that? And then you realize that whatever you put into your mind is what controls your mind. And if you put it into your mind and it controls your mind, then you can understand. Well, maybe that's why he made that choice. Maybe he was fighting a battle I didn't understand. Maybe he had something that was going on in his life that God told him to do it. And he did it, and God blessed him because of it. Now, I didn't leave here and don't leave here and say, Pastor said, no, but go to the movie.'" That's not what I said. What I said was, I had a friend who said this, and I made fun of him. And now, later in life, I'm like, okay, maybe I get that. Maybe it doesn't make sense. Some of the things that God tells you to trust him in may be something that nobody else in the world understands. But it was between you and him. See, that's the difference between religion and relationship. Religion says this is what's good for everybody. Relationship is tailor-made just for you, right where you are. And if God speaks into your life, you trust Him in it because He says, I'm for you like nobody else can be. What's the application? Real faith is walking with God day after day, not just turning to Him whenever you face a crisis. Real faith, walking with God day by day, not just turning to Him when you're in a crisis. There are people that come to church only when life is falling apart. There are people that pray only when life is falling apart. There are people that read their Bible only when life is falling apart. And if that's the only time, it's better than no time. Don't get me wrong. But if that's the only time, you will always have a crisis relationship. It'll always be, oh no, I'm in trouble. God, what do you want me to do? It's called jailhouse religion. God, if you'll get me out of jail, I promise, And you see, jail's not just behind bars. Jail can be your mind. Jail can be what you're addicted to. Jail can be what you run to. Jail can be the idol that is the thing that controls your life and keeps you entrapped. God says, come to me day after day. Man, it means having a, a quiet time. It's a quiet time. It means there's a time set apart in your life where you open the Word and God says in His Word, this is how you live life. It means that you bow your head and you say, Father, show me. Father, I love you. Father, thank you. Father, direct me. God, Joy and I are not getting along today and if we don't do something, we are not going to talk again. Lord, you got to show me how because we got to work together tomorrow. Now, we're, we are getting along fine, by the way. That was just an example. Now, her and Russell, they are not. So, y'all pray for them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it really is that personal. Man, God, this is what's got me, and God, I don't want it to have me. And if you don't let me loose, I am not going to be free. It's calling out to him. And, man, that sounds so blah, 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 because I've heard it said. But I'm going to tell you, it is so True. Walking with God day by day, God rewards faithful obedience to His Word. Did you? This is what I understand that if you get lost in the woods, that after time you actually start walking in circles. You come back and you pass the same things and you go, I think I've seen that before. You have, because your mind, your body takes you in a circle. The same thing is true in your relationship with God. When you lose your direction in life, you begin to walk in circles. And the things that tripped you up and the things that made you fall, Chris, are the things that will keep making you fall. And you've got to get away from those things. It's trusting Him. It's obeying Him. It's believing that His way is right. God wants us to continue to walk by faith. So what does faith do? Faith trusts God's word. Faith believes the impossible. Faith risks one's life. Joshua chapter 2 is the story of Rahab. In verse 31 it says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. I mean, can you imagine Going home and telling your mama where you spent last night. Son, where'd you stay last night? Well, I stayed with old Rahab the harlot, mama. But really, it was ordained of God. <laughs> yeah, she's going to look at me like I'm a fool. <laughs> I don't know. I love the sense of humor in the Bible. Why in the world would God choose her? But this is what it says in Joshua chapter 2. you got to understand who Rahab is. She is a harlot. Yeah. That's a bad thing. All right, but not only that, she is a worshiper of pagan gods. In fact, in the, in the world, the culture that she lived in, she believed that you had to have a God for light, you had to have a God for night, you had to have a God for wind, you would have had a God for rain. You would have had all the gods, and a God could only control one thing. But in Joshua chapter 2, verse 10, she says, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea Before, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Lord your God is above the heaven and the earth. Now, I mean, she came from a system that said, one God, one control. But in her obedience, when she said, I will do this even though it's foreign to me, she said, your God is over all of it. Man, and she was willing to risk her life for that God. It's a remarkable statement. Pink wrote again in talking about divine sovereignty. He said, divine sovereignty means that God is God in fact as well as in name. That He is on the throne of the universe directing all things, working all things according to His will. There is nothing in which He does not control. So when I tell you and when the scripture tells you and when God's Holy Spirit compels you to trust God with your whole life, you've got to understand you are trusting the one that is literally over all of it and he can manage it very, very well. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. In that moment, in a pagan religion, in a pagan lifestyle, she believed that there was only one true God and of His intervention on behalf of the Israelites. John Calvin wrote, To the God of Israel alone she ascribes power and eternity. She acknowledges that He whose favor they were known to possess is the one and true God. They chooses to believe in God, his invisible attributes, and then it says something very interesting in that verse 31. It says, With those who did not believe, so the writer of Hebrews has drawn a contrast between two people, he's drawn a contrast between Rahab of Jericho and all the other people of Jericho. And he says, the difference between the Rahab of Jericho and all the other people of Jericho is that she did believe. And can I tell you, he's drawing a contrast in this room today. He's drawing a contrast in this moment between the people who believe and the people who do not believe. And on the behalf of the people who believe, he says, I will reward you, I will bless you. I will protect you. I will keep you. But for those who do not believe, those who have faith, he says, it is impossible for you to please God. I don't care how good you feel when you walk out of here today. If you do not have faith, and what is faith? Faith. Hebrews eleven six says, without it, it's impossible to please God. That is for those who believe and that those who obey diligently seek Him. And I do not ever want to stand in front of you and preach to you only a feel good word. It costs to follow God, it costs to be obedient. It is a sacrifice. There are things that would please you that you have to say no to. To be rewarded for eternity. And just as the writer of Hebrews drew a contrast and said. She believed and they did not. And because she believed she was saved. That is absolutely the truth for every one of us. Now what we know about Rahab going forward. Is that. Well let's just read it. Let's just read it. Matthew one 1.5. S-A-L-M-O-N. I don't know if that's Salmon, Salmon or what. But. It's spelled just like the fish. That guy, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. In other words, keep on going and she's in the line of Christ. Man, I draw encouragement from that. I draw encouragement because God rewarded somebody who believed, and I draw encouragement that God can even take a harlot and change her life. So, no matter where you are today, God is ready to do the hokey pokey, and He's ready to jump right in, and He will shake you all about. Yes, He will. Man, how amazing! How amazing that the God of the universe that says that he is holding all things together is ready to step into your life and reward you for just believing. And I think about the things that, God, here it is, take it. I think about the times in my life when I've said, God, you can't have it and the pain it's caused me, or the hurt it's caused somebody else, or the mistakes I've made, or the the carnage that's behind, or the regret that's behind. Now think about the things. God is yours. See, you know, every every message points to the gospel. Every message points to a decision. Every message points to, are we going to be the Rahab who believed, or are we going to be the rest of the people of Jericho who did not and perished? So it it absolutely starts with first the question of salvation. Are you born again? Have you trusted Christ to be your Savior? If you haven't trusted Christ to be your Savior, you got to start there. Because without that initial faith, it's impossible to please God. But then it's a day-by-day day faith. It's a walking with God, diligently seeking Him faith. That says, God, today take my choices and make them Guide them to be pleasing to you. God, take my life to a place that's honoring to you. And God, in my unbelief, help me. In my sin, forgive me. In my rebellion, transform me. And God just has a plan. And he says, he rewards those who diligently seek him.
0: Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more, to listen to messages and teaching from Pastor Chris, to contribute through online giving, please visit our website at mzbc.org. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.